Yeah, my personal record book. If this makes Pittsburgh, the Steelers, the fans of the Steelers, you, uh, if it makes everyone feel better, in my own personal record book, uh, the Steelers won that game, the Patriots lost, and that means the Steelers are on track to be the one seed in the AFC. <laughs> the Adam Crowley Show on ESPN Pittsburgh. Rob Rossi filling in for the one and only, thank God, Adam Crowley. You can probably hear on the uh, FM dial (laughs) if you do a little searching. See, here's how we're going to roll today at iHeart. We're going to have Adam Crowley filling in for Mark Madden and Rob Rossi filling in for Adam Crowley, which means the Mark Madden show gets a host that you've maybe heard, and the Adam Crowley show once again becomes the only sports talk show in North America that gets to have a high-profile upgrade when he's off. Not that we're measuring things by social media or Twitter followers or contact books or number of conversations we've had with people that actually made news this week, say Marc-Andre Fleury for... Not that we are going to measure things by, say, number of times we've been on the ice with the Penguins when they've won the Stanley Cup. Three. Or the Steelers when they've won the Super Bowl. Two. Or even one of the rare postseason games at PNC Park. Two. I'm just saying. Let's be honest. But anyway, we wish Adam well in his uh, current endeavor. But, obviously, the place to be on the radio is with the real deal. Rob Rossi, and I'm here with you until 7 o'clock, and we are at the wonderful, vivacious, and soon-to-be Hoppin' Carson City Saloon. And you want to get down here, starting at 5, listen to these happy hour specials we got. $2 for any draft beer, okay? Now listen, I know a bunch of you like to drink. $2 for any draft beer? You should be feeling great by 7 o'clock if you're coming down for that deal. And since, you know, most of you are like me and haven't hit a gym in a while, $5 apps. $5 appetizers. I don't know if it gets better than that. Take that back. It gets better than that. You can also call in here on ESPN Pittsburgh at 412-922-2874. 2874 is the number to get in here on the Adam Crowley Show. Talk to Rob Rossi, a real radio host for a real radio time on a real Friday afternoon. And if you are like me, you were real in that you were up this morning watching a streaming display that was the Winter Olympics opening. So I, um, no. We're not going to talk about that. See, you thought I was going to go there. You didn't. Here's where I want to start today's show. Kind of slipped in under the radar this week, didn't it? That Ben Roethlisberger's gone from a year ago wondering if he was going to play beyond this season to now wanting to play till he's like Tom Brady's age? Jeez, Ben. Make up your mind. I mean, come on. That's like, I kind of want to think we'll play this out and see before we get married to... Hey, uh, honey, let's do it right now. Let's go to Vegas. Let's get this thing done, right? 
I want kids, the house, the dog, the white picket fence, all of it. Like, that's the extreme we've got. Ben didn't want to commit to now Ben wants to commit again long term. And I don't blame him. I've got a team that is a Super Bowl contender. I've got a team that looks like it's going to re-up Le'Veon Bell, maybe the best running back in football, that's already read up, already re-upped, excuse me, Antonio Brown. you got Juju Schuster-Smith. It looks like Martavis Bryant, based off the way we saw him in the second half, has got uh, his head on straight again. Great offensive line. Now, look, we say all these glowing things about the Steelers. I should say the caveat being, uh, the big uh, exclusionary point being, let's just ignore what we saw against the Jacksonville Jaguars twice this year, right? Let's just ignore that twice the Jaguars came into Pittsburgh and kicked the Steelers around. Other than that, things are looking good for the Steelers, right? The Patriots seem to be aging. No team since the Buffalo Bills in the early 90s have gone to three consecutive Super Bowls. So you would think right now the odds are in the Steelers' favor. We have not had a back-to-back Super Bowl champion since the Patriots of the early 2000s. We've not had a team go to the Super Bowl three years in a row since the early 1990s. So you would think that the Pittsburgh Steelers would be well-positioned next year to add a seventh title, being that the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, history, recent history, suggests either won't win it again or won't be there. And if you're Ben Roethlisberger, you have a chance to provide some cost certainty by doing a long-term deal to yourself and your franchise to allow them to do some things they need to do. And let's face it, the Steelers have drafted pretty well the past few years. They're the Steelers. They're usually in it. As a lot of us thought, it looks like Ben Roethlisberger's position towards the end of his career to have one of those magic runs. But we might be looking at this from a purely noble standpoint, and I'm looking at it this way. Have you seen what quarterbacks are getting paid in the NFL? Now, I know. How much money do you need? But here's the thing. I've never met anybody with a lot of money that doesn't need more. And I've only met people without a lot of money that need a lot more. And if you look at what Ben Roethlisberger could possibly do here, which is, in theory, play out one contract that made him $100 million, play out the majority of another that would add what? 80, and then get a couple of more years tacked on, probably in the $25 million a year range. And by that, I mean probably upfront money, a lot of guaranteed money up front so the Steelers can structure it. You're looking at a guy that if he wanted to, for just career earnings from the Steelers, when all is said and done, if this happens, he could buy Sidney Crosby twice. He could buy Crosby twice and Malkin once. Think about this. If you're Ben Roethlisberger, of course you want to play another three or four years. Have you seen what they are paying quarterbacks who haven't done anything, not only historically or recently, like Ben Roethlisberger? Matthew Stafford getting paid on potential that never seems to come through. We just saw Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo, excuse me, get paid for like seven games in his career. If I'm Ben Roethlisberger or one Mr. Thomas Brady, 
I am telling my team, we will play forever. Just keep paying us. And by the way, have you read these reports, my fellow Pittsburghians? Pittsburghers. I know you like to be called Pittsburghers. I like Pittsburghians better. I think it sounds classier. And let's face it, Pittsburgh, when it comes to me and the rest of you, I know from class. Pittsburghians is what you should strive to be, not Pittsburghers. But we can discuss that later on in the show. Tom Brady's now talking about how he wants to restructure his contract to be paid more than Jimmy G out in San Francisco. I got to give it to Tom Brady. For a guy with five Super Bowl rings and a guy who's pretty much going to own every record in the NFL book, he's remarkably threatened by Jimmy G, isn't he? Like, he got the guy out of town quicker than you could possibly think the Patriots wanted to. Killed any chance they had of having a serious trade. And now that Jimmy G's renegotiated or signed a new contract with the San Francisco 49ers, Tom Brady's like, yeah, yeah, I want to be paid like that guy now, too. Tom, what is it with this guy? Do do we think Jimmy G might have had something going on with Giselle? Do you think that's where this all stems from? I'm just wondering, because this seems a bit small and petty by Tom Brady. Or maybe Tom's like, look, I just keep signing deals that are below market value, and I want the Patriots to finally own up and pay me. And based on the fact that Tom Brady did everything he possibly could to win the Super Bowl and the rest of the Patriots didn't, I'm not sure I'm Tom Brady. I think that's a bad idea. Hey, yo, pay me. Because you got nothing else. Your defense didn't do anything in that game. But, Ben Roethlisberger telling the Steelers, I want to be all in for the next three to four years. This is a huge story that I don't feel got a lot of attention in Pittsburgh this week. Three more years of the best quarterback in the history of the franchise? Three more years of a Hall of Fame quarterback who, by the way, when he got going this year, the last ten games, damn good. Damn good. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown, and Le'Veon Bell damn near won a playoff game by themselves. It was three on, like, 52, and they almost won it. So, as much as I think maybe it doesn't make salary cap sense to put all of your eggs into the three-player model, we just saw what those three players standing on five healthy legs can do. They almost took down an NFL team in the playoffs. That's what that was a month ago, wasn't it? It was Ben Roethlisberger, Le'Veon Bell, and Antonio Brown versus the entire Jacksonville Jaguars. And they almost won. And they almost won despite being hindered by Mike Tomlin and his coaching staff, which now has a bunch of new faces. But let's go back to this Ben Roethlisberger thing. Wants to play three or four more years. Doesn't that tell you that Ben really thinks the Steelers are close? Think about this. A year ago, we came out of the AFC Championship game legitimately wondering if Ben Roethlisberger bought into the Steelers as they were constructed. Out of that AFC Championship game lost in New England, he was talking about players not being ready for the moment, 
about needing more weapons, about the Steelers not being able to capitalize on opportunities. He was talking about whether he would continue playing beyond this season. There were a lot of reasons to believe that Ben Roethlisberger, at this time, one year ago, did not buy that the Steelers were a Super Bowl team. And now he's talking about committing for another three or four years. He doesn't need the money, people. He doesn't. He's got all the money you can possibly want. That first contract, or excuse me, that second NFL contract he signed with the Steelers, the big one, the whatever, the seven-year one with like $100 million in it, he got paid all of that. And then the last year of that contract and the first year of the next contract between, he had one of those signing bonus situations where he ended up making like $38 million. Like he got a check for like the high 30 millions. He didn't need the money. He can come down here with the money in his pocket and probably buy the Carson City Saloon. And it would be a fine investment, by the way, because let's think about it. He would know that they would have from 5 to 7 on this wonderful Friday $2 drafts of any type and $5 appetizers. So it would be a sound investment. But he could pull that money out of his pocket, right? Like Ben Roethlisberger can buy me with the cost of one of his hankies. All right? So think what it's going to cost to get you. Like we're talking napkin money. He doesn't need the money. No. He wants it. Who doesn't? We all want it, right? What he wants is a ring. He wants that third ring. It's a short, short list of guys that have three. Right? A lot of guys have two. It's not a huge list, but it's a broader group. He gets number three. He gets a third Super Bowl ring. Oh. Now you're talking what? One more than Peyton. Now you're talking what? Who are you talking about? Let's think about that. Let's think about what Ben Roethlisberger's thinking here. Three more years. Yeah, I can make a lot of money, but that gives me three more cracks. Do you think he's really that worried about Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars? I mean, he kind of shredded that defense. So, like, if Ben Roethlisberger's only thought is, let's say it's Jacksonville next year. Do I think my defense can improve enough to make two stops? Because if they can, we'll probably win. Like two stops in 60 minutes of football. Shouldn't be too much to ask, right? But three more shots at getting a third ring would give them one more than Elway, right? Think about this. We talk about the greats of all time. Who's on that list? Manning, Elway, Brady. Montana, right? These are who we talk about, right? Breeze. Ben gets one more ring. He's going to have at least one more than Breeze, probably multiple more than Breeze. And he's only really going to be behind Brady, Montana, and Bradshaw. That's a pretty good group. Like, that means you were one of the best. He's not going to have their numbers. He's not going to have the numbers of a Manning. He's not going to have the numbers of a... Brady. Not going to have the numbers of a breeze, but if he has three rings, he's going to get one more than Eli, by the way. Breaks the tie in the draft class. So I think this was a huge story this week that we just weren't thinking about. And as we think about this going forward here on ESPN Pittsburgh, I want to take your calls at 412-922-2874. Again, 412-922-2874. And I want you to think about this. 
if Ben Roethlisberger wants to play three more years, how much better does that make you feel about the Pittsburgh Steelers' upcoming draft class, knowing that they probably don't have to take the quarterback we all thought they might? All right, when we come back, we'll get more into that. Also talk to Frank Saravelli of TSN about the NHL's impending trade deadline and what's going on. This is ESPN Pittsburgh. Welcome back. Adam Crowley's not in, which means you get a real-life uh, Pittsburgh personality on the air. You can get real, actual guests that bring quite a credibility to the air. So joining me now on ESPN Pittsburgh, please welcome my good friend, the finest NHL reporter on the planet right now, Mr. Frank Saravelli. Frank, welcome. Hey, Rob, what's going on? Frank, well, right now in Pittsburgh, we have about, what, five to six inches of snow and ice that's about to melt because it was going from like 22 to 49 so that said being that your hometown is philadelphia i imagine it's a little worse up there after the parade yesterday <laughs> it's uh overflowing with uh nothing but pride at the moment i think after the super bowl we've never heard that of philadelphia frank please explain what that's like for your your town oh it's unlike anything i've ever seen just a celebration and uh it's frankly incredible just watching everything unfold yesterday with the parade i know you guys have been through a few of these before <laughs> uh but it's been just crazy seeing everything frank cervelli my guest here on espn pittsburgh follow him on the twitter machine at frank underscore cervelli he is of course the senior tsn hockey reporter frankie I want to start on, uh, before we get into a, a very fine television piece uh, that was on your social media uh, about uh, a pretty historic jersey that does have some local interest in Pittsburgh, believe it or not, and we'll get into that. But, you know, you see the NHL trade deadline, and we all, you know, back with my former duties as a beat writer, we all would get excited about it. And as a national guy, I'm sure it, it you approach it with sort of excitement and dread. Excited that it will be over, but dread that it's, you know, approaching. But when I see a day like the NBA had yesterday, it always made me wonder, when did the NHL trade deadline stop becoming something that delivered? Because I can't remember the last time there was any sort of spark quite like the one we see rather consistently from the NBA when they, they go to move players. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the truth of the answer. Uh, I don't know that we've ever had anything as big a splash or as as juicy as the NBA trade deadline was yesterday. I mean, that was like something else. Like the, right. Not just the volume, but the um, magnitude of the players that were moved. I mean, I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think in some ways the NHL is such a crazy risk-averse league that um, that's why you don't see that. Um, and and I, it's it's crazy how different and it's almost cyclical, too, in the sense that I think in some ways the NHL's trade deadline is now becoming bigger than it was in the past. I mean, yeah, we're not going to see anything like the NBA, but it's like one of the few times a year now that GMs are really going to have a chance to remake their team. Right. Free agency is almost going out the window. Teams aren't taking that seriously. 
and then all of a sudden, you know, you get trade deadline and maybe the draft as really a, one of the few pressure points in the in the year to, to be able to actually do something with your team. Talking with Frank Cervelli here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Uh, he is a senior TSN hockey reporter. Uh, Frank, you know, I talked to Jim Rutherford about this last year, and you know, he's a big proponent of moving the NHL's trade deadline up a month. He thinks there would be more deals. Uh, he thinks there would be G- GMs possibly able to trade with not just the short term in mind, but the longer term. Um, I didn't know where I stood on that when Jim said it, but I think now, and I think, you know, maybe, because one thing we start to see as this year goes on, it's just harder and harder to keep teams healthy. I think if this thing was at the end of January, as opposed to the end of the February, the beginning of March, I, I think there would be more likelihood that we would see teams remaking their roster because they would still have enough time to conceivably convince themselves they're in it. Well, it's not just convince yourself that you're in it. It's almost like, oh, you know, is is it worth trading these picks or these prospects away to get this player that we're only going to have for 18 or 20 games? I mean, part of that, too, is like, Unless you're dead set in a playoff position and you know you are and you're you're getting this player for your cup run, like then there's a lot of teams that are saying, "Well, wait a second, why are we doing this?" Because you've had a a, a number of teams, especially over the last few years, trade for a player. You know, they'll trade a first round pick, a prospect, and a roster player, and then they don't make the playoffs. The LA right. Kings did it three years ago. Last year, the Minnesota Wild did it, and they didn't. Uh, they, I think they won one playoff game. So, yeah. I think there's a lot of cautionary tales out there where GMs are saying, you know, maybe it's not necessarily worth it to do it. Well, a lot of times, too, Frank, you see teams do what the Penguins did last year, which is they make moves based off of needs because of injury, and they end up becoming these pivotal moves because if you're lucky enough to get healthy all of a sudden that defenseman you added because you needed at the time a guy that could play top four minutes becomes a guy that can, you know, improve your depth. Uh, or the same with a forward. Uh, but I just think when we think about this trade deadline, it is one of the two times a year, as you mentioned, where GMs really have a chance to, to shake things up. And it's almost to me like free agency – has become the period where we're going to see more and more trades, and we're seeing fewer and fewer signings in general because most of the great players are locked up long-term before they even become a free agent. I mean, the Tavares situation is is really a an outlier. I mean, we haven't seen a player like him go to market and change teams in what feels like forever. In a league that's always trying to get attention, is this a good thing for the league to have – really such roster stability when you think about it well pro- probably not from an excitement standpoint i mean fans like i can just tell you based on web traffic that we see at our place and and tv numbers fans eat this stuff up they love right. the trade deadline they they love talking trades they love watching trades so is it good that it's all kind of being rolled into maybe one week a year no probably not i mean you know part of it would be you know, some roster flexibility that these GMs would have to, to, to be able to, you know, make these moves, you know, at different points. Yeah, I think it would help everyone. Um, it, it's, 
it's an interesting thing, like, that it's all happening kind of in that week of the draft now because I think a lot of teams are running into that this year at the deadline. They're saying, well, I'm really interested in a guy like a Max Pacioretty who has some term on his deal, but kind of why would I rush to make a move now if he's a guy that's still probably going to be available in the summer if you know I can wait and kind of see how things shake out with my team and then reassess the need after that. Teams are pretty certain of what their needs are, but aren't always willing to act on them when the price is seemingly higher. They like a situation where you know, the pressure is off, so to speak, a little bit, where they can take their time and do it as they see it and do it the right way. You, you mentioned uh, Max Patrick. We're talking with uh, Frank Saravelli here. Follow him on the Twitter machine, at Frank underscore Saravelli. Frankie, uh, the Canadian teams, what did we have? All of them in the playoffs last year? Is that, is that what uh, Last year we had five out of seven. Five out of seven. Okay, so a big number. Uh, there were some exciting teams making their return to playoff hockey last year, Edmonton, Toronto. Those years, those teams are struggling a little bit this year. How important is that for the strength of the league to have a strong Canadian presence in the postseason? I obviously know it helps television ratings in Canada, which is huge because, let's face it, a lot of the revenue comes from Canada. But how much better would the league be if – you know, that was a regular, five teams out of the um, 16 every year being Canadian or, or even more. Because I, I do think it, in a way it, it's good for the revenue, but it might not be great for the overall product in America. And I never figured out where the right answer is on that. You, you know, I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective before. I mean, I think having some Canadian presence is obviously a great thing for the league, but I think you're right for the overall strength and health of the game to have more of a consistent, you know, American presence, you know, to have a market really establish itself as, you know, a true, um, you know, hockey power. Like if, if Nashville, for instance, would go on to go to the cup final or even win it after, you know, a, yeah. a playoff appearance, the deep run last year. You know, I think that would go a long way. It's like, I think people are looking for a consistent which markets and teams can we count on year in and year out as you know true contenders and that's the one thing that you look at a team like you know you look at all these different markets you're like well you can almost flip a coin and i think that's the one thing that as the league loves the parity of it i kind of hate it like i hate that uh there's not a couple teams or a handful of teams that are true superpowers and everyone else is trying to knock them off i don't like that you know, the fall off from, you know, fifth place in the league, you know, you're separated by two points and all of a sudden you're down in 26th place. Like, I don't know that that's the way that it should be. Um, it, it creates a lot of fake parity in the sense that, you know, there's teams that don't really have a chance, but the standings make it look like they do. Like, I think yeah. a lot of people uh, were watching what the Rangers did yesterday with the statement that they put out, essentially saying, you know, and not as, or sorry, in nicer terms in this, that they're about to blow things up, yet they're only three points out of the playoff spot. People are saying, well, why would the team do that? They have a chance to get in. They have Henrik Lundqvist three points away. Well, but they're not really a contender. So, like, the standings say one thing, but, like, what a GM is seeing with his eyes tell him something so totally different. And, Frankie, it's interesting you say that because the league does like to tout its parity, but if you look at the salary cap era, uh, we now have a team that's won the cup back-to-back years in Pittsburgh. 
Pittsburgh's 1-3, Chicago's 1-3, L.A.'s 1-2. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of parity when you think about it in terms of the end result. There have been these sort of mini-dynastic runs uh, by Pittsburgh and Chicago. Even Boston, looking like it's returned, you know, has, has been to a cup final and, um, of course, won a Stanley Cup. So it's always interesting to me when the league touts that because – I don't think having a bunch of teams close in the standings necessarily equates to parity. And I also don't think there's been enough Golden State type of dominance that the NBA's enjoyed to really create a bad guy uh, out there like the Warriors kind of became for the NBA. And I, I don't think it's good for what Gary Bettman's ultimate objective is, is to get more eyes on this in the United States, especially in a year when you have the New York Rangers, the Detroit Red Wings, and the Philadelphia Flyers probably your three strongest historic U.S. markets not likely to be in the playoffs. Well, but I, I think that's part of the issue is, like, they believe that by seeing those teams on paper in the standings being, quote-unquote, close to the playoffs, <laughs> that those teams then have the ability to market and sell. Right. Look at our team, we're a playoff contender, when really – Fans are smart. Like you, right. you're not getting anything on anyone these days. Yeah, like, that doesn't fly in Philadelphia, much. right, Frank? I mean, look, I'm in Pittsburgh. No, like that the Flyers fly haven't won a yeah. playoff series in five years. Yeah. There's no chance that unless their team, like they really believe their team is a contender, that every seat in the building is going to be full every night. It's just like it doesn't happen in Detroit. Like they ran into the same thing. They made the playoffs for 25 straight years, and after that, the fans at the end of the street were like. Yeah, so what? We haven't won a round in how long? Like, yeah. So we're we're in, but what does it matter? So unless you're really contending, like, fans are too smart, and like they're like, okay, yeah, like who cares? We'd rather rebuild and go through a process where we feel like we have a chance, rather than every year that we're trading, you know, players and picks away, setting ourselves back just to feel good for two weeks. Frank Cervelli, my guest. Follow him at Frank underscore Cervelli. Frank, last one. You did a really, really cool piece for the television side on the the famous jersey of the highest individual point game. I wonder if you could uh, just tell me a little bit about what into putting that piece together. And by the way, for people in Pittsburgh that didn't see it, check it out because, you know, Sidney Crosby, before he was Sid the Kid, was known as Daryl. And it's because in junior hockey uh, he was given that name for um, – the great Maple Leafs, Daryl Sittler. So t- tell me about what, it, what uh, not only the assignment, Frank, but what goes into putting something like this together. It's something I've never had a chance to do. Well, it was just a nice little change of pace during a long season. We had a chance to stop at a warehouse in central New Jersey that houses more than 10,000 NHL game-worn jerseys. And this, so this group, it's called the Migrate Group, they uncovered um, what they believe is the jersey Daryl Sittler wore on the night he set uh, a record with 10 points back in 1976. So this jersey was sort of unearthed after 42 years that was uh, in in private hands for that long. So it's resurfaced and just a chance to to talk to them about it and, and kind of go through a forensic investigation to prove that this shirt is really the one that Daryl Sittler wore. It has a lot of unique marks and characteristics to it. They were able to take photos from that game and match it to prove that this is that jersey. So just a different uh, sort of experience. And you know, when you have a season that lasts as long as the NHL does, 
it's always good to talk about something different for a change. Yeah, it was really interesting. You mentioned that forensic uh, evidence. I, I was fascinated by it. Uh, Frank, great job on that. Thanks for joining me. Guys, go to tsn.ca, check that out. Follow Frank's uh, uh, Twitter feed and on Facebook. He put it out there, too. That's the great Frank Saravelli, at Frank underscore Saravelli. We'll be back here on ESPN Pittsburgh. Coming to you live and in full color from the Carson City Saloon. Get down here starting at 5 o'clock and join us. You're going to get $2 any drafts. So any draft beer you want costs you 2 bucks. $5 appetizers. And not only they got, you know, the friendliest and prettiest bartenders in town, they also have these really cool pieces of art hanging above their bar. Um... My favorite has always been what looks like the Joker trying to write atop of an Art Rudy Sr. picture. I don't think that's what the artist was going for, but that's sort of what it reminds me of. Maybe I, you know, if I could climb that high, I'd take that thing and steal it. Although I don't know that I would now that I've just announced that I would steal it. Like, that would be hard to do. I mean, I could probably pull it off. Not the climbing, but the getting out of here. But even then, I don't know if I'd want to. So, but come down to the Carson City Saloon. And join us. Uh, we're going to right around 7 o'clock here on the Adam Crowley Show. By the way, stay tuned after the Adam Crowley Show because we got Robert Morris Hockey at 7 p.m. So you get me, Rob Rossi, at real underscore Rob Rossi up until then. I know what you're thinking. It's a gloomy Friday. All this ice is about to melt and flood the city and ruin our weekends. Could it possibly be any worse? And then I think, you know, it could be. You could be the ice desk at Channel 11. Now, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, but Channel 11 has created a desk out of ice for its digital Olympics coverage. Uh, They have reporters out there in South Korea covering the Olympics, but they do a a daily show, I think around noontime, on WPXI.com, and it, it comes from an ice desk, a desk made out of ice. And they have a Twitter account for the ice desk. This Twitter account, by the way, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing, right? Because when you think about it, what would you call it? At IceDesk11. So this IceDesk has been tweeting today. So I just took a picture of a melting, uh, melting ice cubes in a glass of water here, from the, or in a, uh, excuse me, a pitcher of water at Carson City Saloon, and I just shot it at the IceDesk. It said, ice, ice, ice desk, it's warming up. Are you worried? I'm thinking about taunting the ice desk every day of its existence. But how awesome would it be if that ice desk melted like three days into the Olympics? Like, then what do they do? Like, how great would that be? Like, there's not much that could make me tune into a digital afternoon show about the Olympics. But to see that ice desk go before anybody even got a chance, like, that'd be cool. And here's my thing. If you're behind that ice desk, if you're like Chase Williams or somebody like that, I think that thing's going. I'm bringing like a big weaponized knife or something like that and some syrup. I'm going to try to make me some snow cones, right? It's funny. We're talking about it warming up here in Pittsburgh. But in South Korea, all the reporters are like, what is this? It hasn't been cold at the Olympics since like Lillehammer. It's like we've had – think about this. In 2002, the Olympics were in Salt Lake City, pretty temperate. In 2006, I believe they were in Torino, pretty temperate. In 2010, the games that were ruined by the evil Canadian Empire taking advantage of the heroic United States men's team 
having to beat it twice in the tournament. Um, that was in Vancouver. It was warm enough to burn the city down that time. Then we went to um, we went to Russia, and it was a resort town that's very temperate. And now we're in South Korea, and it is cold. Like people are walking around, like, "What are we doing? We can't tweet. It's too cold. It's the Winter Olympics. It should be sub freezing all the time. There should not be like light jackets at the Winter Olympics." I want to see reporters with snot coming out of their nose because it's so cold. I want to see, I mean, I don't want to see the snot in high def, but that's what I want to see. Like, I want to hear, and like, you know, like coughing. Like, I want to hear, like, I want the Jamaicans to look so uncomfortable that they're praying that the sun crashes into earth. That's what I want to see at the Olympics. I might actually want to see the sun crash into the earth, too. I mean... I wonder how that would go. Like, if that's on a time delay, would you still watch it? Like, everything else at the Olympics is on a time delay. But would Like, if the sun was crashing into the earth, and well, I guess we wouldn't have a time delay because it would just happen. And now I'm thinking, like, what if I slept through the sun crashing into the earth? Like, would it wake me up? Probably not. Like, that would kind of be lousy, right? Like, the earth ends because the sun crashes into it, and then you don't. You don't even get the joy of, like, the agony of, like, the horrible death. You're just in bed. I mean, depending on who you're in bed with, I guess it could be okay. But, like, what if it, like, what if you're in bed with your wife? Like, that would really be lousy. Especially if you didn't know it was going to be it. Like, you know. I think I'd want to change my sheets if I knew that was coming. Like, I'd want to go in clean sheets. Because you sleep so well in clean sheets, right? Like, when you put those clean sheets on, and there's like something, they're all tight and crisp, and it's like, it's just comfortable, right? Let's face it, when you're in bed with clean sheets, the first thing you're thinking of is, how can I dirty these sheets? Right? I know what some of you are thinking. Why would you not just want dirty sheets if the sun's going to crash into the earth? Well, I, I don't. I don't know how that works. I mean, if you're going to survive, you know, you want the clean sheets. That's what I'd think. You can use the dirty sheets for cover of the fire. You know, the sn- no smoke inhalation. With my luck, I'd be watching, like, some stupid show like This Is Us when the sun came crashing down on the earth. Or no, you know what would happen? I'd be watching West Virginia about to win its first national title in any significant sport, and then the sun would just crash to the earth before it happened, and then I'd be like, no. The Pirates are a pitch away from winning the world. Oh, my God, it's the sun. The sun is crashing into the earth. God, it would be, actually, that's the way to root, just to see what Greg Brown's reaction would be. Are you kidding me? The sun picks now? Bob walks just grumbling. Oh, you know, the sun, uh, you can't really do anything with the sun. It's a big ball of fire. I don't know where we got onto that one. But the, uh, the ice desk is going to have a, a perilous weekend because it's supposed to warm up here in Pittsburgh. But, you know, Frank Saravelli, who was my guest last segment here on the Adam Crowley Show, mentioned a good point about the NHL trade deadline when you think about this. And I think this bears in mind, you know, we got Bob Grove, uh, Penguins historian, coming up next hour. So we'll ask him about some of the great trades in Penguins history around the deadline. Certainly I covered many under the Ray Shura regime while with the Tribune Review. You know, one thing the salary cap has very much done 
is eliminate the multi-team trade in the NHL. You saw that a couple of times in the NBA yesterday. Uh, that's the National Basketball Association for those Pittsburghers out there who aren't familiar. Uh, there's this whole league where they play professional basketball. It's in the United States. People watch their games. It's like the opposite of hockey. But they still have like three team trades. You don't have that anymore in the NHL. You don't see a lot of three team deals in the salary cap era. The NHL did adjust with the collective bargaining agreement and allowing teams to sort of absorb some salary to help spur more deals. But for the most part, by the time I, you know, and I stopped covering the Penguins as a beat reporter in 2014, and even by then, the big trade deadline deal had pretty much died in the NHL. You just didn't see it anymore. The last big deadline period swap for a bunch of teams really was 2013, and that was coming out of the lockout where sort of everybody was sort of going, we're, we have a chance. You know, it was a 48-game season. Um, I think it's bad for the National Hockey League that we don't have a more adventurous atmosphere going into the trade deadline. Because as Frank Saravelli of TSN, who was my guest last segment, as, as he noted, there's a lot of interest in this. A lot of people will be following Twitter or checking out websites. Go to TribLive.com, go to TSN.ca, go to whatever, right? You know, and you're going to check to see what the rumors are, what the rumblings are. The truth is, the rumors are much better than the actualities. I mean, even think about some of the best Penguin trades of recent lore. You know, Phil Kessel happened coming out of the draft. You know, that's a big trade for the Penguins. That happened coming out of the draft. The Marc-Andre Fleury situation, if he hadn't ex- been allowed himself to be exposed to the Vegas Golden Knights, that trade would have happened in the offseason. You don't really see these big deals happening in season. And if they are, they're deals involving guys who are past their prime or on rentals. So they're not really that exciting. And, you know, Jim Rutherford, the Penguins GM, has talked about there being value in moving the trade deadline up a month, saying, you know, giving teams those extra 10 to 12 games, taking it from 18 regular season games to have this asset that you acquired to 28, would really make it likely more fruitful for the teams moving players. But, but here's where it could be a problem, right? If you look at the standings now, too many teams can fool themselves into thinking they're involved in an actual Stanley Cup contenders race, right? Think about a month back. Like, nobody was eliminated. Like, as bad as things looked for the Penguins, they were like a sneeze away from being back in second place a month ago. So it's not like this league, there's really ever great separation except for maybe the very top teams. I just don't know if you can do a trade deadline within the construct of the salary cap as the NHL has it and really have it be that exciting anymore unless something completely becomes an unforeseen instance. Unless a situation where, like, Jonathan Tavares tells the Islanders, I'm definitely not going to re-sign, and they go, we got to get something for him. But that doesn't happen. I mean, think about it. For all the big moves the Penguins made under Ray Shiro, what was the big one? Marion Hossa. 
And that came in like Shiro's third year. So the NHL trade deadline can be kind of a dud. And you know, if it is, it might be good for the Penguins, because right now, I don't think there's a team in the NHL that wants to play them, and if nobody gets that much better, they're probably your favorite going in. 412-922-2874, 412-922-2874. That's the number to call. I'm Rob Rossi, in for Adam Crowley on the Adam Crowley Show. This is ESPN Pittsburgh.